Hi, this is Melinda, and you're listening to the Haitian Freethinkers Radio Show. Good morning, everybody. This is the Haitian Freethinkers Show, and my name is Reggie. And we are now live on Black Talk Radio. Uh, we have an interview today, or this morning, with Damon Richardson. Damon, are you on the line? Okay. Uh, we have a bit of technical difficulty, but uh, we'll get it ironed out. Um, I want to let you guys know that this is the Haitian Freethinkers Radio Show, uh, starring myself, Reggie, and also my partner, James, who's not here this morning. Uh, this is a very special edition because it's early in the morning on February 4, 2017. Um, and we're trying to get Damon on the line. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, I want to let you know that if you want to call in and speak to myself uh, and Damon, you can call the guest call-in number, which is 657-383-1619. That's 657-383-1619. Okay. One second, I'm going to get Damon on. And we'll fix the problem. 657-1619. Roger. All right. So he's going to call in and uh, we'll get started. But uh, if you guys don't know, the Haitian Sea Thinkers is a group that I started back in 2012. And it is basically one of the world's few secular groups by Haitians for Haitians. Um, You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Instagram, pretty much every major uh, social networking site. We also have our, our website, which is HaitianFreeThinkers.org. That's HaitianFreeThinkers.org. Also, you can call us after the show at our Google voice number, which is 678-820-9474. Once again, that's 678 678- One second, that's good right now. So I tried that uh, number you sent and said the uh, number was no longer in service, the 383 number. Okay, one second. I I, I transposed the numbers. Uh, it's uh, 657-383-1619, but you should be on now, so we're good to go. Okay, okay, good. All right, so I was starting um, the regular spiel. Um, but basically, uh, yeah, so we're on live. Uh, anybody who saw the event that I created can now call in. The guest calling number is 657-383-1619. Once again, that's 657-383-1619. If you're out there listening live, I thank you. This is um, a different time than I usually broadcast, but uh, because of, Life circumstances, that's what we have to do in order to get, um, I guess, a quality show with uh, no kids interfering. So, Damon is on, so uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, So, basically, this is just a freestyle show. Uh, We have never really spoken on the phone before, and uh, I want to basically get to know who Mr. Damon Richardson is. So, 
uh, without any further ado, who is Mr. Dan Richardson? Uh, well, I uh, uh, I am just a um, uh, young guy from uh, originally from uh, Queens, New York. Uh, I have uh, lived around quite a number of uh, different cities. Of course, uh, uh, my um, calling is uh, ministry. So I have, uh, over the last 26 years, uh, been involved in the uh, preaching and teaching uh, ministry, either through uh, pastoring or through itinerant work. And um, uh, let's see, I uh, uh, what else about me? I'm, I'm you know just a regular uh, uh, regular guy. You know, love sports and and a family guy. I have uh, four children, three boys, one girl, and uh, uh, married, of course. And, and uh, let's see. Uh, uh, you'd almost have to ask me some specific questions there. It's a, that's probably the hardest question to, for me is just to uh, uh, rattle off uh, information uh, uh, about myself. But, uh, uh, you know, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Uh, uh, let's see. I am um, uh, seminary educated, so I, uh, I am in the process now of uh, working on a Ph.D. and uh, in uh, leadership. And uh, I uh, have an MA, Master of Arts in Religious Studies. So a lot of my background is in uh, theology, uh, world religions, and, and of course, uh, some emphasis on uh, things like apologetics, uh, Jewish studies. And uh, let's see, I was uh, born and raised in the nation of Islam. Uh, so it's a little interesting there, I, uh, my uh, original orientation from a religious standpoint, was not uh, Christianity. Uh, it okay. was um, uh, Islam. So, uh, well, uh, we'll say, I guess we'll have to say quasi-Islam. we got Nation of Islam. It's not an orthodox uh, sect, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that's, that's how I was uh, raised. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, yeah, so there you go, man. <laughs> okay, I mean, that's, that's a lot of good information. Um, Gosh, uh, well, I I stumbled on, upon you when I saw the video by a gentleman by the name of Kevin Wesley. Uh, he was saying that uh, he does not. I think he was a pastor, and he was he made a video saying that basically he doesn't want to lie to the people anymore, and that he's leaving Christianity or something to that effect. And you you made a video to respond to him on Facebook Live, and now you have a show twice a week, correct? That is correct. That is correct. So how did you stumble upon that same video? That, uh, that video uh, quickly gained traction. I think by the time I saw that video, it, it had already 40,000 views, which is, uh, which is pretty impressive from a, a viral standpoint. I think today it sits at over four million. Uh, but uh, by the time I saw it, 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 it had about forty thousand views, and um, I listened to it. And uh, my concern when I heard it was um, that believers would think that there was some validity to what he was saying. Uh, you know, my my reaction was not to go after him in particular, uh, but to, um, uh, but to, um, to help provide believers, uh, with 
uh, apologetic, intelligent answers as to, to why do you believe what you believe. And, um, and, and so, you know, listen to the video carefully. And I, I've got a number of, uh, you know, to, to the man, you know, from an ad hominem standpoint, uh, there were a couple of things that concerned me, although I didn't focus my argument around those things, but, uh, uh, I, I'll say it on the, you know, on the show here. Uh, you know, I think the first thing is, is that I doubt very seriously, uh, that Kevin Wesley was even a pastor in the first place. Um, you know, number one, you know, there's, there's no indication anywhere on his page, uh, that he had ever pastored a church. The information that he provides is shortcoming of any kind of detail whatsoever. Uh, he mentions nothing about the city this church was in, the name of the church. These are, you know, these are the kind of facts and the kind of information that um, persons could uh, research. We could, we could, uh, you know, we could conduct some interviews. We could talk to some of the uh, former parishioners or whatever. Uh, Kevin Wesley had not provided any of that information. It doesn't exist anywhere. The other's Facebook page. No matter how far you search back on that page, you won't find not one shred of detail that would indicate that he was actually a pastor. Uh, the only thing that I, I, I found, and, and, and many others have searched, nobody can find anything. Uh, the only thing that I did find is um, a response that he uh, gave to somebody about um, where he corrected the notion that he wasn't a Baptist pastor but was non-denominational, which sounds like, uh, you know, anybody can make that claim at that point. Oh, it was a non-denominational church, uh, therefore unaffiliated. This could have been some loose group in a living room, two, three people. Uh, who knows? Uh, but when you say, I I am an ex-pastor, conceptually what people expect is that it was a considerable group. Uh, it was established. Uh, you know, it, it you know it it has some history to it, and that there was some training involved. Obviously, you know, you say you're a professional of any sort. There was some training there, some preparation, some education that went into a formal or informal or what have you. People expect that certain things will be true when you say that. Well, there, I don't think any of those things are true. So, what then qualifies Kevin Wesley to even make the statement? that he was a pastor. So so that kind of sets up what 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 looks like more of a straw man argument. You know, if, if I misrepresent you through some uh you know, some misrepresentation of facts that I can easily knock down, I haven't really defeated your argument. I, I set one up so that I could knock it down. And and so I you know, my suspicion is that that is what Kevin Wesley did with this uh, whole uh, piece on I'm an ex-pastor uh, leaving Christianity, so forth and so on. And and uh, the things that he said in the video are not indicative of anybody that would have even been qualified to have been a pastor because he doesn't even seem to know what century Jesus actually lived in. And uh, that that certainly is not a person that I would even say was a Christian, let alone a pastor. Okay. Um, I did not take the time to 
uh, check out his page. So I'm learning about all these things. Uh, I did hear your rebuttal, and I thought it was good in, so good that it, it was worth uh, commenting on your on your page. And here we are, a couple of weeks later. So I appreciate it. <laughs> so here we are. So go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just want to remind listeners, if you are out there, which I'm pretty sure there's one or two, uh, you can call in at 657-383-1619. I understand that's early in the morning, but, uh, yeah, you can do that or just listen to the show by dialing the same, the same, the same number. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting about you is that you are a Cowboys fan, uh, but you are from New York. So how did that happen? Uh, not to downplay any New York team, I, I am a lifelong Jets fan as well. Oh my and, goodness! Uh, so, yeah, so 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 football is um, the only sport uh, that I have that I actually have two teams, and of course they're in two different conferences. So the Jets are an AFC team, Cowboys are, are an NFC team. Uh, so I still I, I'm, I'm still a fan of the Jets, still still going for them. Uh, they have uh, been terrible uh, for quite a long time, so it's not a whole lot to get excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tend to be more excited about uh, the Cowboys. But I've been a Cowboys fan since, I would say, the early to, uh, early to mid-'80s, I think really more like the early-'80s. Uh, so, so that's been um, quite a long time that I've been a Cowboys fan. I've been a Jets fan all of my life because, of course, uh, the Jets used to play in what was known then as Shea Stadium. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's no longer Shea Stadium now. Uh, but uh, And, of course, they're playing over in the, um, East Rutherford, New Jersey, in the same stadium that the Giants play in. But nonetheless, uh, uh, most uh, people in Queens tended to be Jets and Mets fans since they were owned by uh, – you know, the same uh, general manager. They were owned by uh, the same person, played in the same stadium. So uh, so there you go, you know. But, uh, well, well, in terms of how I became, I can't even remember how I became a uh, a Dallas fan. I think it might have just been a decision, you know, one day you just say, you know what, I like that team. I want to, uh, I, uh, I'm going to be a fan. I don't know what it was, but somewhere early on uh, in my life, I decided that, uh, I really did like the Cowboys, and uh, and and they've had that America's team uh, kind of uh, um, a reputation for for a long time, and and this was like way back in the day, you know. Roger Staubach was you know playing Two Tall Jones, and you know they had that uh, that that uh, offensive line, the defensive line that they were so. Uh, known for and and uh yeah man you know i've seen some of their best games i saw the uh the uh return um the kickoff return tony dorsett i saw that game you know so i've been with them i'm I'm a real true uh cowboys fan and not one of those bandwagoners uh like the uh falcons fans that are jumping on the bandwagon <laughs> this weekend so <laughs> All right. Well, uh, early shots to the the Falcons. Obviously, this is a big weekend. Uh, the game is tomorrow. Um, that's a topic that uh, we're going to touch on too. But since we brought it up, uh, what are your predictions for the game? Oh man, uh, I would say um, 
Patriots are going to win. The oh, score is going to be something like uh, uh, something like about um, uh, I'd say maybe about thirty. Uh, thirty-five, fourteen, something like that. I, what? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, man, I, I can't see the Falcons uh, winning uh, tomorrow. The Patriots, you know, they they have entirely too much experience in the big game, and they they've lost as many Super Bowls as they have won. But even those losses give them depth of experience, and uh, and then I think history just is. Uh, it's not always the truest indication, but most of the time it is a uh, reliable indication. Um, the Falcons just have never, they have never beaten uh, the Patriots, and uh, there's almost no good reason to believe that they're going to do it tomorrow, and especially with no Super Bowl experience as of late. So, uh, you know, man, now I, I will tell you this, uh, you know, here living in the Atlanta area, I, uh, you know, I'm not a, Falcons fan, but from a you know, uh, you know, regional pride kind of you know, hey, I'd love to see them win. Just can't see it though. Not not against Tom Brady in the in, in the game. Okay. Um, in the spirit of fairness, I'm going to answer some of the same questions that I I asked you. So uh, the first question was, who is David Richardson? So I am Reginald Bienemy, and uh, I. In many things, obviously, uh, I was born in Haiti uh, and came to the United States uh, in 1988, and uh, lived in Miami for pretty much most of my life now. So that means I'm a Dolphins fan, and I've been a Dolphins fan since '91, '92. So that's why I was kind of side-eyeing you when you said the Jets. You know, Cowboys is bad enough, but the Jets, oh. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I remember being. Um, about nine ten, when I saw the buses rolling into Joe Robbie Stadium back then, and that was the Super Bowl between the Forty ers and the Bengals, and I and I remember my aunt, my aunt um, was having people park on her yard because she lived really close to the stadium, and I really couldn't figure out why all these people are are doing this crazy thing. And um, growing up, my mother told me that American football is very brutal and uh and I shouldn't, you know, play it because it's basically a, a game for ruffians basically. Um those who are who are from outside the United States take exception to the game being called football because football is, is what Americans call soccer. That's right. So um there was a little bit of a transition there but eventually I saw Dan Marino do what Dan Marino does. And it was a beautiful thing, and I just uh, became a fan of both the Dolphins and the Hurricanes at the time. So that was back in the early 90s. And, um, you know, we've had some battles with the Jets. The Jets have never been any good except to just give us a lot of unnecessary pain for no reason because... There you go. (laughs) Because, like, my thing is that if you're going to beat the Dolphins, at least do something with it, and it's it's always been the Jets, but that's whatever it is, I guess, and that's that. Um, religiously speaking, uh, my family back in Haiti, um, well, well, I was introduced, uh, or what we are is Catholic, I guess, by association. Most of Haiti is Catholic because of our history. 
That's right. And uh, <clears throat> once we came to the U.S., my mother was the the one kind of make Protestant to go to church, and she probably got invited to a, a Protestant church, which I didn't know the difference as a, a young person. Um, but uh, we started to go to different churches. Um, we found one in Pembroke Pines, which you, you're familiar with, South Florida, so I can say that. That's correct. Mm-hmm. The the area. So we went to a, a particular church in Pembroke Pines, and um, it was at a school. And I remember being one of the uh, few kids that actually paid attention during Bible Bible study. And um, I even back then I used to ask myself certain questions. Um, I remember that was at that church, which I remember that um, I was told that I was supposed to fear God. And I used to think, like, why should I be afraid of God, you know, because um, that didn't make sense to me. But uh, anyway, so I went on to um, go to different churches. I started to actually go to church by myself because friends invited me. I became a little bit older, and my mother was like, as long as you go to church, I don't care where you go, just go to church. So I did that for a while. Um, I... Even though I was in a, I guess, I guess Christian environment, went to churches, I didn't really, uh, I probably wasn't Christian uh, until I actually said the Lord's Prayer um, when this pastor, I mean, Pastor George McKay, uh, came by, and he was the pastor of a church called Hallelujah Church, I believe it's called, and um, he came to my house and really put uh, the pressure on me. He was like, listen, man, you know, this is all fun and games, whatever, but you need to make a decision. And he gave me a uh, chick track. And long story short, I ended up uh, doing it, making the decision for myself. And that's when I personally considered myself as becoming a Christian. And that was like uh, about 16 or 17 years old. Um, anyway, so around um, 18, I joined the National Guard uh, in order to pay for college. And September 11th happened. And uh, I was afraid that I was going to go to war, and it eventually became a reality when my unit was activated. And then March, I believe it was March of 2003, I found myself in uh, in the Middle East, first Jordan, then Iraq, and I spent about a, a year there. And that's when I started reading the Bible. And that's when things started to change for me as far as religion is concerned. I started reading from Genesis. I stopped in about Isaiah, went back to Florida. I requested a meeting with my pastor, Pastor Ronald, who is a pastor at New Vision Emmanuel Baptist Church uh, in Miami. Um, And that was a, a pretty good meeting, but what I remember about that meeting was that he wasn't as familiar with the Old Testament as I was, and I had the idea that as a pastor, um, you're like a doctor of of religion, so I was kind of shocked that um, he wasn't familiar with some of the things that were um, of concern to me, and basically, I took, I took it upon myself to uh, continue reading and researching, and um, uh, years later, I got baptized in 2006 at the same church, but eventually I became an atheist in 2009. So that's the religion thing. Um, I live in Atlanta, obviously, and uh, I started the Haitian Free Thinkers uh, 
group for Haitians who are secular back in 2012, basically because I realized that um, there was not a group for Haitians who are secular. And I do this show as part of the things that we try to do to kind of reach out to believers, but really, um, you know, just have something in place for for people who might be like me. So that's really the gist. Gotcha. Okay, okay. All right. Um, good, good, good to know that, man. Uh, good to, to learn more about you. And uh, uh, that's, uh, you know, interesting uh, journey uh, there that you took. Uh, yes, it's, uh, it's been years, and uh, I still have a passion for for religion, uh, comparative religion, um, and and I find you know you to be interesting because you have some schooling behind you. So it's not just like I mean I talk to a lot of people from different denominations, different backgrounds, but not a lot of people have the uh, schooling to go behind them. So that's one of the things I'm I'm interested to find out. Like, how did you get into the program? What was this? What was the school that you went to? And uh, and basically what you learned. Okay. Oh man, that's that's a uh, a good question. I I, I think for me, um, uh, you know, sometimes your 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 background growing up it becomes um becomes kind of certain things uh, in your background that become imprinted in in your life and. Uh, uh, you don't realize it, but you kind of carry it, and 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 people can sense it. You know, they pick up on it. You know, it's almost like the mark of Cain. You know, what is it? You can't see it, but you can. You just know something's there. Something about this guy is 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 uh, not right or whatever. But you know, so I think for me, um, having the um, the early spiritual orientation and formation in the in the nation of Islam. Um, I, I think for me, when, when I became a uh, Christian believer, um, certain things about the faith kind of chose me. And, you know, I, you know I, I guess we would articulate it as a calling. Uh, but, um, you know, I found it almost uh, an immediate need to have to explain certain things. And uh, so, so that kind of evangelistic, apologetic aspect, you know, it, it – called me, you know, it found me. And, um, and, you know, I, uh, I, I wanted to always know as much as I could about what I believed and, and, and what I was a part of. So, you know, to mind you now, I'm, I'm 16 years old, but, um, you know, I'm doing all this reading and I, and I had a pastor that encouraged investing in your, your, uh, education, your, your, spiritual education you know he encouraged me to buy books and uh and i hung out with this pastor I, you know i had probably the coolest pastor uh you know you could have around but you know i'd hang out with him he'd take me on trips you know to conferences and, and things so you know i i got to see a lot of different things but you know some saturdays he, he'd invite me to hang out with him at you know uh the bible bookstore christian bookstore or whatever he had a. He was an avid reader. He had a huge library, and uh, but he taught me to. He would give me books, you know, back then. But uh, he taught me to um, to invest, and uh, so so you know, I'm still in high school at the time, but you know, so I started getting these books and, and reading and learning more. And uh, one of the things about me is, is that I would go out and and kind of regurgitate 
what I had just read, and that would reinforce, um, you know, my learning. And uh, because I would hear myself articulating things that I had just read, and it would just cause it to stick, uh, you know, and I'd get excited, and people were like, wow, man, you really learned, you know, and that would encourage me to go and learn more, uh, you know, whatever. But um, the interesting thing now is that when I, when I uh, graduated, and first went to college. Uh, my uh, uh, I first matriculated as an undergrad in Miami, so so that's kind of that Miami connection. Uh, I went to uh, Florida Memorial College, as it was known back then, uh, the okay. HBCU, and uh, it's now Florida Memorial University. And uh, I didn't stay long. I didn't stay long. I, you know, I didn't have the, a lot of the maturity. Uh, I was too energetic and a lack of focus back then. So. Uh, I didn't stay long, and I, I ended up uh, transferring into uh, Miami-Dade, uh, what was then known as Community College. <laughs> See how things have changed. And mm-hmm. uh, so it was right there on the north campus. And um, um, I um, left the area. Uh, well, they used, again, everything has changed down there. They used to call it Carroll City, and now it's Miami Gardens. So I left that area and uh, was living over in Liberty City, actually, living in Liberty City. Hey, wow. And was attending a, a, a church there and uh, took my first um, missions trip, which was actually over, it was just over to Jamaica and uh, uh, preached in an area of Jamaica, a really, really poor uh, country area called St. Anne. And, oh, I know uh, St. Anne. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the interesting thing now is that my wife is Jamaican. And it's like from the next parish over uh, in uh, Trelawney, and uh, right next door to uh, St. Anne. So, uh, but um, uh, nonetheless, uh, I uh, spent some time as a youth pastor uh, in uh, between '92 and '95 in Central Florida, uh, up in the up in Stanford, uh, which is uh, just north of Orlando. Uh, many people might be familiar with it as as uh, the place where uh, Trayvon Martin was was killed. So it's been right. three three years there as a as a youth pastor and um traveled around, you know, pastoring, ended up moving back to New York, pastored there. And um uh I would say somewhere around two thousand uh two thousand three I uh I, I started doing graduate work. Uh, did some work at Virginia Union University in Richmond, uh, Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology. was in the uh, Master Divinity program there. And uh, I did some work at Liberty uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, seminary associated with Liberty University in Lynchburg, and uh, spent a couple of years at a uh, Jewish seminary in uh St. Petersburg Theological uh, Seminary and Yeshiva uh, did uh, two years there studying uh, Jewish studies. and, and uh, St. Petersburg, uh, wow, Florida? In St. Petersburg, Florida, that is correct. That is okay. Correct. And, um, and uh, finished the MA uh, actually here in Atlanta at uh, Beulah Heights uh, University. And uh, went from there and did some additional uh, graduate work at Regent University in uh, Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia, and uh, and then came back to Beulah uh, to do the uh, the uh, PhD program. So 
so uh, you know, here I am. I did a lot of kind of moving around and and uh, did a lot of work. Some of that work wasn't finished here or there, uh, but it was a good. It was really good um, for me, even though it was kind of a long way around. It was still good for me because I learned at a number of different kinds of seminaries. Some of them uh, that espouse. Um, um, what I would say, uh, the scientific method, you know, uh, uh, critical uh, methodologies, uh, you know, such as uh, Virginia Union, of course, uh, this black liberation theology, and uh, and you get a lot of your German uh, liberal, um, Protestant liberal type theology there. Can, that, that can, I, can, I, can I interrupt you real mm-hmm. quick? I, I would like to, uh, for those who don't know, when you say black liberation theology, for those who don't know, what, what exactly do you mean? Uh, so uh, black liberation theology is one of the various liberation theology uh, constructs uh, that um, that um, so libera- to, to understand black liberation theology, you have to understand a little bit about uh, liberation theology uh, kind of as a whole. And, um, and so uh, liberation theology actually had its uh, genesis in uh, uh, Latin America. Gentleman's uh, name was, uh, I think, uh, Gutierrez, and, uh, and 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 so what, what liberation theology is built on uh, several premises, and and that's one is is that uh, you know God is God is the God of the oppressed, and uh, so it looks it looks about uh, it, it looks for it looks about the uh the needs of those who are part of the suffering masses uh the poor uh the uh oppressed and um it is concerned uh with their uh with their political their social uh and their uh economic uh liberation um there are some models of liberation theology of course that that is concerned with their liberation from a sinful standpoint as well which is what evangelicals would simply refer to, you know, as salvation. Uh, so, so, so not all of those models reject that. They, they, uh, they do look at that, but they are more this worldly as opposed to otherworldly. And uh, so, so, so they start uh, more of an existential uh, standpoint. That is, what is the condition of the oppressed people in the world, and 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 how does God represent? those people. So 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 liberation theology is built on the premise that God is the God of the oppressed. And so black liberation theology, which was developed by James Cone uh in the um in the sixties, uh took that same construct and contextualized it for the condition of black people here uh in America. And 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 so uh in, in James Cone's construct, God is black, uh not necessarily uh ontologically black, but he is black in the sense that uh, because he is the he is the god of the oppressed, he is one of the he he is not the oppressed himself, but he identifies himself with the oppressed people, and um, and uh, you know so black liberation theology speaks about looking for the very same uh, freedoms and liberations and justices that most liberation theologies are also concerned with, but in a more contextualized way to uh, black Americans or African Americans here uh, in, in the United States. And of course, the African 
theology or uh, African liberation theology from South Africa. That is even a little older than um, the black liberation theology here. So, so there are quite a number of those kind of liberation theologies that are usually built on that same construct. And um, in, in other areas, uh, sometimes that liberation theology borrows from liberal theology, not to be confused, liberation and liberal. Uh, liberal theology is usually that Protestant, um, European, Protestant, German kind of liberal theology that you, you would um, – you would find with uh, guys like um, uh, Rudolf uh, Boltman or uh, maybe even Karl Barth, even though he was more neo-Orthodox. Uh, let's see, Paul Tillich. Uh, some of these, uh, uh, some of these type thinkers, uh, nonetheless, uh, they reject certain things that you would find common among evangelicals, like the Bible being inspired the deity of Jesus, the bodily resurrection. So they kind of, kind of, uh, well, they, re- they don't kind of, they reject those propositions uh, in favor of uh, what they call uh, uh, reconstructing, uh, deconstructing the myth of scripture and then reconstructing it based on uh, more of a historical uh, piece there, so 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 a lot of liberation theology also borrows those kind of components, uh, you know, and 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 you get your scientific method, you know, your your critical methodologies there in biblical interpretation. So so I've got experience with those um, with that particular uh, framework, uh, you know, of uh, you know theological discourse, uh, although that's not. Uh, the position that I come from, I, I have exposure to it. And, and that's my point is that I went to different kinds of seminaries and learned from different um, different perspectives. And uh, so, you know, got a, got a chance to interact with uh, a number of different, uh, you know, theological, uh, you know, constructs there. So, so I, I'm thankful for all of that moving around that I did and going here and going there uh, because it, 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 it really made me more solid. Uh, of a thinker, and uh, you know, so you know, I, I know that's probably uh, kind of uh, boring to the average person, but I think it's made me interesting, actually. So, <laughs> no, I think it's uh, very interesting because some of those people I didn't know about. Uh, so, like you said, it helps shape you to be who you are and explain why it is that you think and say the things that you do. And I think that's wonderful. And I think it's very important to flush out terms, especially for me, so that when I'm talking about it next time, I can come from a point of uh, uh, informed and not just be talking about something that I don't know anything about and just be guessing while I'm talking to the person. Um, And that's what I like to do. Uh, The NOI background is very, 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 very interesting to me. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that, please? Yeah. Um, uh, well, you know, for for the listening audience, you know, Nation of Islam uh, came about in the, in the 1930s. Uh, a uh, a Middle Eastern man, a Persian man uh, by the name of Wallace Fard, uh, was a kind of a street peddler, seller of uh, silk and clothing and a number of different things in Detroit. Um, he he had an idea 
that um, black people were orig- in America were originally Moors, and uh, and he taught that you know basically uh, where he had been influenced by the the Moors uh, science temple, and um, so you know he had uh, he had had some um, he had borrowed some of his teaching uh, from uh, the uh, Moor Moor science temple. And uh, you know, and uh, and they kind of developed an idea that uh, uh, took it a little further. And uh, you know, it, it goes from we were Moors in, in in America to the lost tribe of Shabazz, and uh, Elijah Poole later is, uh, becomes Elijah Muhammad, becomes one of his students. Um, Wallace Farr disappears. Uh, well, he didn't disappear. The FBI knew exactly where he went. He went to prison, and then he was deported. <laughs> And uh, the nation of Islam, so he disappeared. <laughs> like, that's that's disappeared. exactly what Wikipedia. This is what Wikipedia is telling me right now. I'm looking them up. It says died, disappeared. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so I mean, you got pictures of him uh, in, um, you know, uh, police lineup. So yeah, he he had this. You know, he he went to prison, and uh, Elijah Muhammad uh, assumed leadership, but he himself. Uh, also uh, spent some time uh, in prison. I think it was roughly about four or five years, but he he, he spent some time himself um, shortly after that in prison. Uh, but when he came out, um, he was still able to uh, reassume uh, the leadership of the uh, what was called the Lost Foundation of Islam at that time. And uh, you know some of the basic tenets of the Nation of Islam. Uh, Elijah Muhammad then uh, took the teaching of Wallace Fard and kind of turned it around. And all of a sudden now Wallace Fard becomes the reincarnation, uh, basically the incarnation of, uh, of Allah in person. And uh, where, whereas he himself said uh, when he was alive, uh, Wallace Fard, because he was influenced by the Moore science temple, he himself said that he, he felt that he was, um, Basically, more of a incarnation of Noble Drew Ali. So, no, Elijah Muhammad said, "You know, no, he's really the incarnation of Allah." And, and so they begin to teach that uh, Wallace Fard, who we would call the Master Farad Muhammad, uh, we uh, it was this. It's this belief that this guy was God in person, and uh, and so you know, every February, his birthday is celebrated, and it's called Savior's Day. This is a major conference a major event mm-hmm. for um for uh nation of islam adherence in fact uh, of course growing up we didn't celebrate christmas but when february came around we did so celebrate savior's day <laughs> i'm saying though but did, did you did you go to chicago or did you just stay in new york and do it there yeah i mean well you know they they would have the, i never went to any of the uh savior's day um meetings in Chicago, my, my, my mother has. And, of course, we were in the Nation of Islam uh, in the uh, early 70s. Elijah Muhammad was still alive. Uh, he was still the leader. So this was, uh, so, um, this was early on. So Louis Farrakhan was, was a minister of uh, the Harlem Temple Number no. 7 when we were uh, in the Nation of Islam. And the uh, temple that we were a part of was an annex Temple to Temple Seven. In fact, it was called, and it is still called Temple Number Seven B, uh, which is in uh, Corona, Queens, 
And uh, the interesting thing is, is that the minister at that temple, uh, who we would call Minister Larry, Larry X, Minister Larry, uh, well, he is now the international representative of the Nation of Islam, second to uh, um, Louis Farrakhan. Really? Today. You know, yeah, but he was just a uh, you know regular uh, regular minister in an annex temple in Queens. But that was the temple that we uh, um, that we attended. It's still there. It's on Northern Boulevard in Queens. Anybody want to look that up? And uh, you know, we we had uh, education, uh, Muslim education. Uh, uh, I did not attend that school, Clara Muhammad School of uh, Islam, which was uh, named after Elijah Muhammad's wife. Clara Muhammad, Sister Clara Muhammad. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, so nonetheless, I mean, uh, you know, we we were taught, you know, the, the basic tenets of uh, the nation of Islam, you know, the whole Yaqub thing and all that, the mothership and all that stuff. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, we would, they would indoctrinate us with like, you know, you know, you, know, you learn teaching through song. So we, we would learn teaching through songs as well. And uh, one of the things we would learn is that we, we didn't consider God a spirit. God was a man, and, and that man was Master Farah Muhammad. So, you know, we would we would do these drills and these songs and things that, you know, God is a man, not a spirit or a spook. Never has God been a spirit or a spook. God is a man. God, you know. And, you know, you got these fun little ways of learning things, but that was their way of teaching us uh, these uh I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I find that to be so interesting because I've read the Quran, and that is so not Quranic. It is exactly. That's true. <laughs> it couldn't be. It couldn't be further from the Quran. Uh, Allah says repeatedly that uh, do not compare him to anything. There's nothing like him. And uh, yeah, so I find that to be so fascinating. But uh, yeah, go ahead, continue. Yeah. So, you know, as I, uh, I, I prefaced at the beginning, uh, the nation of Islam is really more quasi-Islamic. It's a, uh, it's a sect of, uh, you know, a subset uh, of um, orthodox Islam or whether you want to call that Sunni Islam or, or whatever it is, but it's, it's definitely not orthodox. It's a cult of, uh, I think that's more of a accurate, presentation it's a cult of islam in in that sense but it, it does have certain islamic features to it but so much of it is uh contrary to what you would learn as a traditional uh traditional muslim and of course i have studied uh traditional you know orthodox islam uh and uh to to, to know the difference but uh but you know what's also interesting is, is that historically uh, it can be said that uh, uh, Islam itself is a cult of Christianity. So you know, uh, you know, so it kind of it's a little circular there. Uh, that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a different fire that we can we oh, can yeah, uh, yeah. address a little bit later. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just a reminder: the time on my watch is now seven forty-eight. I want to be respectful of your time. So, how are we looking on your end? Oh, pretty good, man. Pretty good. I, I, I uh, uh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on your time, man. So you know, we, we're good. Okay. So, um, gosh, a lot of information about the NOI, 
Uh, and I want to say from my perspective a quick, um, uh, I guess, my part while I'm talking to you. My introduction to the NOI was through the movie Malcolm X, which I saw in middle school. Uh, Malcolm X is my favorite historical person of all time. Uh, if I had a Jesus, that would be him, except he didn't come back to life. Uh, I love I love everything about Malcolm. Um, I devoured Alex Haley's book. Um, so I learned so much about that movie in middle school. That was another interesting time in my life when I was being introduced to different uh, religions um, in middle school. I didn't know that there were people, because <clears throat> growing up, I thought it was only two options. You were either a Christian or you worship uh, the the bad people. We were told as Haitians that, 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 that anything voodoo related was evil. So, um, But ironically, I've never met anyone who openly said that they, they were part of the voodoo religion, but that changed later on. But so when I was in middle school, I, uh, there was a young man named um, Luigi who, was, uh, who claimed to be part of the Nation of Islam. And uh, basically, you know, hip-hop was popping back then and, and um, you know, Wu-Tang was coming up and all these things and the movie. It was just a, a interesting time when that type of thought was the thing, um, especially if you were black. So I saw the movie and I briefly considered... I guess being a Muslim, but then I heard that um, they didn't they they spread the religion through violence, and that they didn't treat their women very well. And those two things were important to me, and I wanted to verify those things uh, before I do something drastic uh, like convert. And not like my mother would have any of that anyway. But um, I was in middle school, and I thought I was grown. So, so that's that. Um, later on. When I was in Iraq, I remember asking one of the Iraqi guards, I'm like, hey, you know um, Malcolm X, El Haj Malik Shabazz? And he looked at me like, who? <laughs> you know? So I, I thought I thought um, the Nation of Islam and Malcolm in general was a worldwide phenomenon, but uh, at least that guy didn't know who that was. I ended up going to visit Muhammad's Mosque number 29, I think it is, uh, down there in the hood, because um, I used to go to a Masonic mosque right there on, I want to say, was that 7th Ave and like 50-something. It's like the main mosque yeah. of the NOI. I know exactly where it is. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was start, that mosque was started by uh, Malcolm personally. Yes, sir. He started it, he started it uh, during the time that uh, he was here when... Uh, uh, then Cassius Clay later changed his name to Muhammad Ali, <clears throat> who was uh, actually um, in Miami training for that fight. That's and, correct. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's when he started it. And uh, yeah, that's 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 good. I'm gl- I'm glad you you uh, you pointed that out. Is uh, that's a um, not a well known uh, fact, but yeah, you were right uh, on the left-hand side if you are heading, <clears throat> I guess if you are heading south, I believe that would be, um, if you are heading south, that mosque would be, uh, or mosque now, which is the proper term uh, um, for it, it would be on the on the left-hand side. But the, uh, the current nation of Islam, one, is uh, just across 62nd on the right-hand side, right on 7th Avenue. 
but the original one, I can't remember where the original building was, but either either way it goes, um, that split came as a result of Elijah Muhammad's son, Wallace, taking the nation of Islam into a different direction. But that original mosque itself was started, in fact, by uh, Malcolm. Right, exactly. And when I went in there, um, I was very curious and timid. I got tied down by one of the one of one of the guards, I believe, is one of the Fruit of Islam guys. And um, so this is the post nine eleven world, and I totally understand that they didn't know who this this guy was coming into their sanctuary. And I sat down, and uh, I guess it would be called a sermon. And uh, I saw how they segregated the genders. And then I went around back, and there's a mural that I thought it was really interesting that they have. And uh, the sister who actually painted the mural told me about what the message of the mural is. And that's when I learned about this concept of triple darkness. And um, I just thought that it was so interesting. And I looked at her like, what? She had a straight face like, yep, that's what it is. And I, I was like, basically... If you know the mirror, I don't know if you've seen it, but yeah. at the end of it, there's a like a KKK Klansman holding figurines like he's controlling puppets or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, basically said that white people are, are evil. And I was thinking about this guy that I went to war with, and I said, what if I had a white friend that wanted to visit and you're telling them that they're evil? Like, well, how would you, how, what would you say to that person? And the sister said that, well, you can come in evil, but you don't have to leave evil or something to that effect. And so I thought that was pretty interesting. And, um, and then I went on to um, the back where they had bean pies, and I've never had one before. Uh, being Haitian, um, beans is not something that I would consider something that would be like a dessert, but I actually enjoyed their bean pie. It was sweet, and uh, I, I, I really enjoyed that interaction. So I went to that mosque a total of about two, maybe three times. Uh, they had like what would be called Bible study one time, and I just stopped by to see how how they did their little thing. And they have a totally different, um, I guess, interpretation of the gospel. But uh, so that's my experience there. Um, but I, I want to say that I think that they do a lot of good work. I think that I think they do a lot of um, positive things as far as black people as far as the desire to do some positive things, especially now this being Black History Month. So if I were to speak to any of them, like I don't think it's uh, necessarily all negative or whatever. I know I'm a I'm an atheist or whatever, but I do give credit to, you know, for them doing some wonderful things. Like, for example, I think they have a supermarket in Chicago. They try to promote, um, you know, entrepreneurship amongst the members and all that. So I think that's um, needed, and I know you're from South Florida or you've been there, and uh, that area that they operate out of, I mean, has a lot of needs. So I think that if they can, you know, have some of that positive stuff, you know, I think that's a good thing. So it's not necessarily all bad. Yeah, they, uh, uh, I, uh, I've been to uh, Chicago quite a number of times, and, and uh, you, you would see, of course, same thing in New York. You would see the salon bake, the salon bakery, and uh, you know the grocery store. And uh, some of those things are, in fact, I think the salon bakery uh, has closed down. But you would see, of course, uh, 
uh, fish market, and uh, you know you you see a number of these uh, different kinds of businesses. You see that same thing in uh, in, in New York as well, and and uh, so they they've done some. They, I think they've done some uh, some some good grassroots type work. Uh, you know, can't take anything can't take that away from them. They <clears throat> they have been a uh, presence in uh, in in terms of discouraging crime uh, to some degree in certain places. <clears throat> Who can forget their work in uh, D.C. back in the uh, in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, when uh, uh, Mayor Barry, uh, Marion Barry, um, basically hired them to, uh, D.C. was a murder capital of the country at the time. And uh, mm-hmm. so he he, uh, he basically hired them to um, stand guard, stand post in some of the housing projects there. And uh, there was a significant reduction and not only murder, but overall crime as a result of their presence. Um, what's interesting, though, is, is that it, that doesn't seem to work in Chicago, though, uh, and which is where their headquarters are. And uh, But, of course, you know, that would be a big burden to put on any one particular group, and it's no one group's responsibility to reduce the crime rate or whatever. But uh, I've always wondered why uh, it just... Uh, uh, they didn't seem to have that same kind of impact like there in their own in their own backyard. But uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, yeah, I don't take anything away from you know their their outreach into uh, to the black community. I think you know at least from from that standpoint, you know, they've done some positive things. So yeah, I would definitely agree with you. Um, and I'm looking online right now. Faith- Savior's Day for this year, 2017, will be uh, February 19th on a Sunday, and it's going to be from Detroit. So if anybody's interested in that, they could check that out. I've never attended anything like that. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen videos of it. It is very, it's a big, it's a big convention, um, and uh, well, you know, they do what they do. Oh, so, yeah, man, and Detroit, that that's basically. Uh, going back to the, the origins there. So uh, uh, that's where the first one was held. So it's, so it's kind of a uh, almost a homecoming, so to speak, because uh, uh, that was where the headquarters used to be in mm-hmm. Detroit, and it was later moved to uh, Chicago. But but like you, I am, I am even till this day, a uh, uh, Malcolm is a hero of mine, uh, and uh, I have family uh that even till this day, uh, uh, well, not so much today as it as it as it had been years ago. But uh, a lot of my family lived where uh, lived in the same neighborhood as Malcolm. Uh, Malcolm lived on 96th Street in East Elmhurst, Queens, and okay. had relatives that lived right on 96th Street. I, I could take you right now if we were there to uh, to the house that Malcolm lived on uh, at the very end of 96th. Uh, and uh, it then ends there, and it it's on a hill, actually. So you could see the Grand Central Parkway, and you could look right across and see LaGuardia Airport. And uh, yeah, my, I had, uh, go ahead. I'm so sorry. My my cousin actually is in East Elmhurst right now. I think on 23rd. Uh, the house is uh, 2361, but uh, yeah, he's in uh, he's in uh, East Elmhurst. That's crazy. But is that yeah, the house yeah. that got bombed? 
that's it. It's still it, it, it uh when it says bombed, you know, it was a Molotov cocktail. So so basically, you know, it just it caught fire. The house was not destroyed. It was salvaged, and uh, it's still standing today. It actually uh, is is more of like a daycare, uh, you know, uh, a daycare. Uh, that's what you'll see when you go there. But uh, uh, most of the original neighbors are still there. A uh, guy across the street still lives there. But uh, you know, a lot of my family, my grandmother lived in '94. Uh, I had relatives of '94, '95, '96. Uh, and uh, 97. I'm sorry, Malcolm lived on 97th Street, not 96. And uh, but uh, either way it goes, mine. You know, a lot of my family, you know, are from right there in uh, uh, East Elmhurst, Jackson Heights, Queens. So if you remember in the book, in the autobiography, uh, it talked about uh, Malcolm going into Butts uh, Real Estate, uh, which is right there at the corner of 94th and Astoria Boulevard. Well, mm-hmm. that same building that Butts is right there on the corner. Well, my grandmother lived five houses from Butts right on 94th Street. So as you walk five houses up, my grandmother lived there. Well, the interesting thing is, is that Butts was adjoined to another business, and that business till this day, if you go there, uh, it's very Thompson funeral home. Well, that's my aunt, and uh, that funeral home had been – it was there when Malcolm walked into Bud's real estate. So, so my aunt was the uh, the oldest uh, funeral home director. I mean, well, she was the uh, first uh, funeral home director uh, as a black woman in uh, in Queens County. And uh, so it, it's uh, it's actually still there. I don't know if the, um, the business is still operational anymore, but uh, uh, you'll still see that sign there. And Bud's real real estate is still there also. And uh, so a lot of history right there in uh, East Elmhurst, uh, Queens, and, uh, you know, so. Okay. Um, one of the things that um, I'm not happy about is that, you know, I got, I think Martin Luther King is awesome, but what is it, why isn't Malcolm getting much more props? I'm not saying he should get a statue, even though I think that would be awesome, but even if it's not in the worldwide audience, I think he's like I think he's being shorted. Like, what's it gonna take? Like, even if it's just amongst black people, like, what what's up with that? Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's it's a it's it's a little. Um, I think King, uh, obviously, because you know uh, King's uh, his, his education, and now you know King was as feared as as Malcolm was, uh, and obviously they both ended up dead. Um, he was just as hated as Malcolm was. He was just as dangerous uh, as Malcolm was. In fact, the FBI, uh, you know, counterintelligence program had them both on a wiretap. Uh, but but King was King King could come across at least a little bit more palatable. Um, uh, yeah. Than Malcolm, and uh, and I think that's the only difference. Is there are aspects of King that you can that you can make a little bit more palatable at least to make King appear to be uh, safe and acceptable to to Northern whites. Uh, Southern whites hated King. Northern whites loved King because King was educated in uh, Northern schools. But Southern whites and Northern whites hated Malcolm. And that was his Malcolm. Malcolm was not establishment. 
at all. Uh, he was not educated at all by by uh, by either group. So he he uh, rejected the establishment, and he was pan African, and I think that was another thing that 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 um, that causes Malcolm to be um, rejected, uh, you know, by so-called mainstream America. So that Malcolm wasn't about pan-Africanism. And, uh, and, 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 and as a result, uh, you know, he did not, um, he did not uh, mince words when it came down to his um, indictment against America for uh, racism, and they did have two different perspectives uh, on on racism. Well, they had a similar perspective, but they definitely had different approaches. So King's approach was more uh, addressing it from a civil rights standpoint, whereas Malcolm addressed it from a human rights perspective, and it, it was it made better logical sense to Malcolm to bring uh, the USA uh, into a world court Mm-hmm. Uh, where you know you could you could find some more objectivity uh, there, and and uh, but but either way it goes. I mean, you know, Malcolm obviously didn't mince words, and the fact that he had been part of the Nation of Islam, which was um, you know extremist in in its views, uh, not only um, nationalist uh, organization, but you know. Uh, you know, it had some really, really extreme views, and, and Malcolm's association with that certainly doesn't help his cause, uh, even though he renounced it in favor of uh, traditional Islam. You know, his uh, the Malcolm that we remember most was Malcolm as he was part of the Nation of Islam. So right. I think that... Uh, uh, that kind of hurts his cause, but I, I see Malcolm as uh, every bit as significant as King, and um, every bit as effective as King. And uh, you know, I think he's really important. I think he's not just important to black people. I think he's important uh, to uh, to all people. Uh, it's 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 um, you know, it's hard to sell that though. Uh, but the reality is, is that. Uh, you know, Malcolm was not a racist. Malcolm wanted uh, what was uh, what was best for blacks, and that doesn't mean that uh, he did not love whites. It, it's 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 white people represented the group of uh, the oppressor, so there was no need for Malcolm to focus his attention on what was best or what was good for white people. Black people were uh, you know weren't all the oppressed group. So Malcolm's uh, love for blacks does not uh, equate to his hatred for whites. And and so typically that's the way that white people, uh, you know, articulate uh, black activists is, is, you know, their their, their, their passion for black causes, uh, you know, means that they are against us and this, that, and the other. And, and, uh, you know, I I think anybody that met Malcolm, regardless of what color they were, they, they, they almost fell in love with him. Even when Fidel Castro met with uh, Malcolm in uh, uh, Teresa Hotel in mm-hmm. Hull, man, he mm-hmm. loved Malcolm. He absolutely loved Malcolm. And um, uh, uh, unfortunately for Malcolm, he realized that he could not continue his relationship with uh, Fidel Castro uh, because, of course, uh, the government was really uh, 
uh, coming down on Castro pretty heavy at the time. And, and he had only been about a year or two in power uh, at that time. So, you know, Castro was, 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 uh, you know, new to, uh, power at the time, but, uh, uh, either way it goes, I mean, Malcolm is just a remarkable person. I think anybody that met him, white or black, uh, they were uh, infected by his uh, his passion, his his intellect, and uh, you know, um, he's 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 you know. I think everybody should learn about Malcolm, and uh, Malcolm. There should be a Malcolm next day, and and just because his cause was particularly uh, concerned with. Um, Black Americans doesn't make him any less significant than uh, than King. It's just you know, uh, King can be commercialized, and uh, and that's not King's fault. Uh, you know, I've got this 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 theory that whenever you want to neutralize uh, a person's uh, impact, when you want to um, diminish, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, their um, their significance, uh, you you know, the best route to take is through celebration. And and I think a lot of what we see here in America really attempts to diminish and neutralize the real impact of King through celebration. So the celebration focuses you on aspects of that person's life or teachings uh, that uh, cause you to miss what they were really, really about. And I think if people really uh, knew what King was really about in terms of uh, what he really taught. Uh, they wouldn't celebrate him as much. You know what I mean? Right. So, 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 and I think that's what they're really trying to hide. King was definitely against the war. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he was against a lot of things that yeah. this country was doing. So, so, so yep. these uh, Martin Luther King celebrations have really neutralized and diminished uh, the real King by reconstructing him. Uh, in a way that is palatable to the people who really hated him the most. So I don't know okay. if you know if, if people kind of really catch that, but that's how that thing works. So, yep. so, so in a sense, I'm glad that Malcolm is not really celebrated because at least we know we have the real Malcolm. Okay, that's a hundred percent. I mean, which is more likely? Me converting you from a Jets fan to a Dolphins fan, or are you going from Christian to atheist? Because let me tell you, we're on par here. Which which is going to be more difficult? Uh, oh boy, let me see. Ask, ask that question again, man. <laughs> if I were to persuade you to become a Dolphins fan from a Jets fan, or become more secular Christian, which would be harder to do? Uh, it would be harder to. Um, to convert me uh, to a secular view, you know. Um, Not to say that I would ever become a a Dolphins fan, but you definitely would have greater success doing that than than you would uh, converting me to uh, a humanistic, secularist, uh, uh, view, atheistic uh, uh, standpoint. (laughs) That's cool. Um, the time is now um, 8.12. The wife and kids are up. So I want to end this awesome interview on this. And that's one of the questions that I wanted to ask is you, you do apologetics. Um, so the question is, what is apologetics and why do you think it's important? Apologetics is uh, to reason in defense of uh, some of the uh, 
the Greek word apologia. Uh, logia means uh, word or uh, to uh, uh, to uh, to speak. Uh, and, uh, and and so the idea is is that uh, apologetics uh, reasons in defense of the Christian faith. And uh, so one of the reasons that I do it is because it has both a um, it has both an offensive and a defensive uh, aspect to it. Uh, from a defensive standpoint, it, it helps Christians to be able to counter-argue uh, against claims uh, that would, um, to some degree, attack Christianity. Uh, it, it allows you to be able to say, to argue uh, in um, in defense of Christianity, and, and that could be against any kind of worldview. Uh, the other is that it, it uh, allows Christians to be able to offensively and, and, and in a... Um, uh, in an evangelistic way, uh, articulate the historic Christian faith and the claims of our faith, uh, you know, in, in an intelligent way. And it comes from 1 Peter 3.15, uh, where the Bible says that we should be ready to give an answer, that is the word apologia, to every man that asks us a reason of the hope that is within us with gentleness and with respect. So ap- apologetics is about giving... Um, uh, reasonable uh, answers to why we believe what we believe. So, you know, I, I, I'm attracted to it uh, because, um, you know, as a teacher, uh, not only of, of, of the word, but I just, you know, uh, teaching is just, educating people is just a, just a calling of mind. Uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those ways uh, that um, I'm able to help people uh, just really get excited about uh, what they believe, and uh, you know, so you know, I love it, and it, it's a quick way to kind of give people uh, some uh, some fast information, and uh, and 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 help them to go find out uh, more about you know what it is that 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 they're learning. So you know, so that's kind of the the skinny on it, and uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I, lo- I love that aspect of uh, of ministry. All right, excellent. So uh, you want to plug in your your broadcast so people can know how to find you? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I, I think uh, the Damon Dot Richardson uh, ninety eight. I think that is uh, on Facebook. If you just type Damon Richardson in, um, you might run into a couple of guys, but I think I'm the first one. Uh, it's kind of a almost a, a professional pose. Uh, I'll be the one from Atlanta, though, so there, there might be a number of other guys there. But uh, if you go to Facebook, uh, you'd have to add me because it's not a like page. And uh, somebody told me that I, I need to uh, make it a like page instead of a personal page. But um, uh, nonetheless, if you uh, if you go there, uh, you can uh, find me. If you go to Twitter, you can find me at at uh, uh, at Preach Damon at Preach Damon D A M O N. And uh, and also just started a um, a YouTube uh, channel. It's uh, it's, it's Damon Richardson Ministries. Uh, I've carried over some of the videos from uh, Facebook over there, so it's still kind of new. So we're still kind of moving some of the content over. And uh, you can also find me at uh, DamonRichardson.org. Uh, that is a a new website. So all these things are really new. Uh, so uh, don't judge me if you don't find a whole lot of content there. Uh, it's building, uh, but you know, uh, you know, everybody has to start from somewhere. And uh, but uh, I'd love for you, you guys to tune in. Uh, 
to uh, on Mondays right now at 7:30, and Thursdays at 7:30 uh, to a it's about 30 minute on average uh, Facebook Live broadcast where we we do some uh, apologetics and and uh, you know discussing uh, things uh, you know that are interesting from a biblical pr- uh, perspective. So there we go. So Mondays and Thursdays at 7:30 Eastern. Eastern Standard Time, that is correct, yes. All right, excellent. And uh, I've caught uh, several of your videos, and uh, whenever I have time, I try to listen. So um, Mr. Richardson is on Facebook, like he said. Just look him up and uh, go to the uh, YouTube if you are not on Facebook, and you can find some of these videos there. Uh, Our show is coming to an end. This has been the Haitian Free Thinkers radio show. Um, if you're unable to listen live, you can also find the show on iTunes. It's on Spreaker. It's on Google Play. You can just Google Haitian Free Thinkers Radio Show and uh, listen to this show and past shows. So uh, what I'm going to do now is we're going to bring the show to an end. But it was a wonderful, wonderful um, interview. And uh, if you have some, if you have some time in the future, we can talk about. Uh, I guess, uh, specific subjects in reference to apologetics, the okay. Nation of Islam, Malcolm X. It's, it's really, we could talk about the Jets. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can, I'll tell you my prediction. Okay, I'm not Nostradamus, but I predict that it's going to be the Falcons over the Patriots. So this is before the game, so I don't want people to think that, you know, I'm watching the game. Uh, it's going to be the Falcons over the Jets, not because I'm a Falcons fan, but also like you, I'm a transplant from Miami. I want the Falcons to do well, and I think they have a really good offense. I know the Patriots have traditionally been very good, even when they lost, like you said, but um, there's too many options in the offense, and uh, for the first time, the Patriots are going to have to play from from behind, and I'm talking about double digits. Um, Mm. I know Roger Goodell is going to go out of his way to make sure the refs are friendly <laughs> to Julio Jones, and um, he doesn't want to give that Lombardi trophy to to Tom Brady. But if that does happen, I think that's the only thing that I want to see, the look on that man's face as he gives uh, Tom Brady the trophy. Which, And by the way, Tom Brady, he should just go ahead and retire right then and there and stop terrorizing people. So that would be great. Um <laughs> So, yeah, so um, as soon as the show is done, um, I'll go ahead and I'll post it on Facebook, uh, and uh, you can share it with your friends. And like I said, we can do it um, in the future whenever you have time, even if it's in the morning. That's fine with me. All right, man. I uh, Well, I appreciate you uh, having me on as a guest, and uh, certainly enjoyed the uh, the interview. And uh, and uh, I look forward to uh, coming back on at another time, and, and I would love to uh, dive into those uh, topics that you brought up, and I uh, think that would be great, man. So I uh, appreciate it again for inviting me, and I uh, look forward to the next time. All right, awesome. Okay, everybody, so this is the end of the show. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.